You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites. And it's brought to you by the NRMA, who are leading the charge in helping Australians transition to electric vehicles. By rolling out Australia's largest regional fast charging network, along with advocacy and education, the NRMA is making the electric transition more accessible for more people. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson and I'm the founder and editor of The Driven and it's the uh, sister sites Renew Economy and One Step Off The Grid. And we've got a great guest for uh, this current episode, which I'll introduce very soon. And just a reminder, we'll be back in part two of this um, episode with Daniel Beakley, the uh, senior writer for The Driven, just talking about the news of the week. But first... Um, Fast charging EVs. We've just seen this week a record number of EVs being sold in Australia. The share is hovering just under or just below 8%. The Model Y has become the biggest selling SUV in Australia, the third best selling vehicle of any type in the country. And of course, people who are already driving EVs and driving around the country will know that it's sometimes on occasions getting hard to find a spot at the EV charging stations to uh, top up as we go and that's one of the main issues. So who better to talk to this week than uh, the head of energy at NRMA, uh, Carly Irving Dolan. Uh, NRMA of course is one is a massive investor in the fast charging network in Australia and has actually just sort of increased the scale of that investment with a recent deal with the federal government. Um, Carly, thanks for joining the Driven Podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, look, uh, I guess the big question is, I think, how many fast chargers do we actually need in the country? I think sort of 30,000 um, to, to I mean, and how many have we got? <laughs> Well, we don't have that many, anywhere near that many, and we do need, and and by that's only by 2030. So by 2030, they're estimating that we need anywhere between 30 to 40,000 fast chargers. There's a lot more charging we need in people's homes, et cetera, et cetera, and, and, and at destinations, small destination places, but we certainly need, in terms of fast charging, public fast charging, we need around 30 to 40,000, and we have currently around 600 We've got a bit to a thousand, depending on depending on what you want to classify as a fast charger. But yes, we've got a long way to go. Well, you're going to be busy because look, just tell us exactly what your role is as head of energy at NRMA, because I think that's a position that didn't exist some time ago. Yeah, look, I um, was um, watching it from afar. NRMA started, you know, around 2017, starting this, um, leading this way in terms of building this destination charging for New South Wales and I think that they were really uh, forward thinking and they thought about well what are we going to do how are we going to fill gaps is it the chicken and the egg how are people going to feel comfortable and fast forward to where we are in 2022 last year they basically we've opened a division if you want to call it of um, um, within the NRMA business heading up the electric vehicle uh, I guess network we're calling that NRMA electric and the electric vehicle charging infrastructure from a highway perspective, destination perspective, and even other things like workplace and um, and to a degree curbside 
so the smaller charging infrastructure. So we had some foresight or NRMA had some foresight in terms of we wanted to ensure that we can connect communities. That's that's one of the core businesses or the core reasons for NRMA's existence and how better way to do that is providing them the infrastructure to enable the energy transition with the electric vehicle in particular. So we started this division and I started last year as CEO of, of NRMA Energy and how great it is to be able to be part of such a unique opportunity once in a lifetime to really change the way that people are going to live, work and play and be a part of that legacy. So it's awesome. Yeah, no, no, it sounds fantastic. And we'll get into some of the details in a minute. But um, just to clarify then, NRMA, um, I usually sort of think of them as a New South Wales-based organisation, but what your mandate seems to be very much sort of national on this. Why, why, why is that? It's a really, really good point. And myself always considered NRMA's New South Wales. Maybe it's the N, but actually N stands for national. Um, so what's... <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Um, And so, um, but what what this mandate allows us to do is have that national footprint. And we're already uh, working heavily in drawing out our map. So we've got around 135 uh, charging sites or charging search rings is what we're calling it. We haven't determined exactly the site, but that's right around Australia. And the purpose of being able to do that is ensuring what we're calling the backbone. So there's a lot of already infrastructure being put in the spaces in the different states, but they're normally where there's a high utilisation and that's okay for now. But how do we ensure that people can get right around the backbone, the, the structure, right around Australia and down the middle? At the moment, there's not going to be high utilisation in those areas. So no one's building there. So NRMA has has been working with government, the federal government in particular, to say, well, we need this backbone to help this transition. And so we're going to... Um, um, build that highway and the national backbone is what we're calling it. And then we'll also um, build in some of those other areas in the regional um, and urban areas within the different states while we're there. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you... So hence national. <laughs> Very good. No, no. Um, and, but it's interesting because you mentioned at the start um, about the chicken and egg and that's kind of the thing with some of this infrastructure in remote areas because you don't necessarily, they're not necessarily going to be commercial either because that might not get heavy use, but they're going to be absolutely Correct. needed. So presumably that's the idea behind the federal government funding support or is the NRMA also sort of using like kind of like a social mandate using it sort of, you know, it's got fantastic resources, the NRMA, is it kind of using its sort of social mandate to sort of provide that as well? So the, the the project itself just to build that 135 charging sites around Australia is, is around 80 to $90 million. And we've been lucky to get some federal funding of around 39 mil. So NRMA is contributing the rest of that to enable this to happen and build this great transition um, or enable this transition. And and what's interesting enough, and you, you touched on it, not only is it the infrastructure not available, but um, that we've got to build it, but there's also not even connection to the grid possibilities. So we have to build some solutions to enable some of those areas to actually be able to charge. Hmm. Um, So some of those areas, for example, don't have any power right now. And so we're going to build some what we're calling standalone charging systems or standalone power systems to charge the the charges because... Of that 135, we need to, we've committed as well to be on average around 150 kilometres between and ensuring that we service all of those areas that have at least 10,000 people. Um, So we need to make sure that we 
can can deliver on those obligations. And so we have to also build what we're calling, as I said, the standalone power system. I'm fascinated by this. I'm fascinated. So, so what might they look like? Would they be sort of renewables focused? Would it might be a mixture yeah. of solar and a battery or yep. something else? That's what, exactly yes, it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. So it's um, in essence, um, in like a, a, a container or a kind of a trailer type scenario that we can get it in there. But basically it will have battery and it will have solar and it will have the charges and it will, uh, you know, have some backup in case that there's no sun for that period of time because we don't want to have stranded. Um, <laughs> waiting, for the, stranded waiting for the sun to come out. <laughs> waiting for the sun to come out. So we, we've, we're, and we're working at the moment with a, a variety of vendors to come up with what's a perfect solution for that. You know, that's relatively new technology they're still building yeah. we're still designing and coming up with those so that's exciting as well and then who knows what we can do and help out the local communities when we have that type of infrastructure that's in place well, and the other because be, um, because level, because sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt because i, I guess what yeah. you're suggesting there what you're inferring is that if you've got some charging stations there and you've got some solar and batteries then that that energy and that electricity can actually be provided for the local community as well who might yeah. who might just be living off diesel at the moment that's right. And so we could work, you know, not necessarily straight away, but work with communities around what other things could we look at doing? Um, how, what else do we work with with government yeah. and, and, and different funding sources? And the, and the other element that's really what people have missed is there's no actual communication strategy, you know, like there's no uh, 4G, 5G in some of these areas. That's called what we call those black spots. So we also need to come up with a satellite solution so that when you get there, and we've got now got the solution to power it or to ch- power the charger, you need to be able to bill, you need to be able to use your phone. So we're going to have like a uh, building a comms, what we're calling a communication strategy as well, or a solution that we need to do. So it's, NRMA is really leading the way in this part. Yeah. And have you got any idea, have you sort of crunched the numbers yet of how many of these um, charging stations will be off-grid? Uh, it's probably, uh, I would suggest at this moment in time, we're probably looking at around 30. Wow. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, the, the fast charging network that you're actually going to be um, building, I think it's going to be up to, uh, what were the charging speeds? I think um, we actually got mm. it wrong when we initially reported it. Um, and I'm going to sort of... Um, it, we, we've got, with a, depending on where we're going, but let's just say that the the um, the large, the fast charging highway is up to 300 kilowatts mm-hmm. um again um we'll be you know depending on capacity we've got some of our uh charging infrastructure that can go to 400 so our obligation though is what we've said is we'll ensure that we can get um, around australia and down the middle with 300 kilowatt charging so that'll be around four charges four have four bays i should say that can enable four cars con- concurrently charging um, at least at 75 kilowatt in if there's four charging at the one time right. alternatively you know they can they can do more uh, fast charging if it's just one or two cars there oh okay up to 300 yeah right and and, and the off-grid ones is that going to be a slightly different capacity because of the sort of the challenges yes it will be slightly different but we are still trying to get at least um, 150 right um, kilowatts yeah okay and so that's again that's where we're saying we're we're working with our solutions to figure out what that looks like and that'll evolve as the technology enhances as well yeah absolutely and you've got different providers here haven't you because you've been using mostly I think tritium up till now but you've also sort of now yeah. expanding into chem power and and is there anybody else I can't quite remember yeah look we're working with um, a few different we've got ABB at the moment we're working with um, Kemp power 
know-how for a few different. It's it's really around fit for purpose. So we're we're calling them. I call them recipes. My team, you know, we're recipes, and it's like, okay, well, what's the right technology for that recipe and that recipe is you know as well including what does the what does the space look like and so do you, you know can you do you need narrower charges can you you know can you have the larger ones you know what's the environment like so some are better suited and all those different things so we take all those things into consideration but right now we're, we're working with Kemp Power, ABB uh, for our for our and, and ABB in particular for the highway the, the the national highway sites. Okay, okay, that's interesting. And I guess one of the big questions from um, drivers and EV drivers now is that will that network be free? And how long will the current network, um, mostly I think in New South Wales, be free? <laughs> well, the um, current network is, um, we're also upgrading in terms of fixing that up. So we've been getting some feedback in terms of performance and making sure that the, the network is stable and, and we're certainly improving that. So we always felt, you know, a, it was it was part of getting ready and getting and helping people with the transition, but also we didn't want to really, uh, you know, charge for things that weren't reliable. And we're now getting to that point of a couple of things where our reliability is really increasing. And thank you for all of our members that provide us with the feedback and and customers that provide us with feedback. It's really important. But also we're building a app um, that enables us then to do um, um, charging and charging and, and billing, I guess you could say. So uh, that'll take shape over the next couple of months. Um, and then we will want to trial it and see if the app works and make sure it's all, all good. But I would be suggesting that, um, you know, towards, depending on how IT projects go, um, but let's see, um, the aim is, is that the um, around the October, November is that we would start to um, look at charging. Oh, okay then. And if we can't get that right, then we'll 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 go from there. But that that's the that is the plan. Okay. Any any, any idea about rates at the moment and discounts for NRMA members? I guess that would be a given. Oh yeah, look, I think that that's look. It's a commer- it, it needs to be a commercial um, and and available. So we we will there'll be. A lot of different businesses um, will, will work with us in terms of volumes and fleets, and and we want to look at how we can service everybody. It's a public charging infrastructure. We need to make sure it's accessible and competitive for everyone. Um, and obviously, mem- um, NRMA members, there's th- there's through an, the NRMA membership process that um, looks for discounts just through that normal membership process. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's really important that we want people to use our charges so we want to make sure it's very competitive in terms of of pricing we're not here to um, make you know huge amounts of money at all it's just to ensure that we can actually continue to build infrastructure for for the users yeah now you mentioned reliability and you talked about improvements mm. in reliability how, how have you achieved that because there's no doubt that there has been a lot of frustration amongst EV drivers mm. and not just with the NRMA network also other sort of commercial networks um, mm. you know things have not been as reliable as people would expect particularly if you're driving into town and the one charger there's not working or there's two chargers and one's not working the other one's got a queue etc I think there's a couple of things. The, fir- the first thing I say is that we have to also remember that some of this technology and the way I use the analogy is the iPhone 1 and the iPhone now 15. Mm-hmm. And so as you would know with the iPhone 1, it's very different to how you have an iPhone 15 now in terms of the functionality, how long your battery lasts, how long, you know, what you could do with it. Um, that was the same as the charges. And so some of the charges that have been infilled for the last, you know, for the last five years, the technology has shifted a lot 
but what was what was um, in terms of utilization and and constant use of a charger um, back then is now three times the amount and so can those chargers were they built for fit for purpose for today's usage so we've replaced some of our older older fleet uh, we've upgraded some of our older fleet and we'll continue to do that that that's one thing another thing is is that we also needed to ensure that we carry spare parts that we have um, really good uh, service maintenance um, processes in place to make sure that they were always available uh, and that we could get to them very quickly. And probably thirdly is that visibility of our charges. So we now have um, all of our charges on our platform that enables us to get real time. If the charger is not working or not performing, we should we would know before someone needs to ring us. Yeah, no, so ex they're exactly right, because it's NRMA branding all over the charger. So you're the guys that's correct. the blame. <laughs> that's right. That's that's right. And that's okay because they're our charges and we need to make sure. The fourth thing is to make sure, as you just mentioned, to that there's enough. So we had a lot of one sites with one charger and we're working through a process at the moment around making sure that there's always an availability that if one's broken, that there is another redundancy, you know, mm. a, a resilience there because that's really important. As you said, if that's the only one in town, there needs to be a backup. Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's go to further drill down a bit further into that charging thing. Because you mentioned also in your introduction or when it was your, your opening comments about um, local charging. And I guess what you mean there is probably on street parking and things like that in cities because you're going to have a lot of members and there's going to be a lot of people with EVs mm -hmm. who don't have um, garages or off street parking mm -hmm. where they can park. So mm -hmm. what, are your, what are your plans in, in, in that area? Yeah, what we, we're calling that um, destination charging and the destination charging can kind of look through two lenses. One is literally uh, on site of where you, a shopping centre if you like, or, or some kind of destination that you go to, or or in a local area where there might be information centres or or um, places where there's good parking. And and what we want to do is, is ensure that we're working with communities and local businesses to get the right locations. But that's exactly where two things can happen. One, where people, as you just described, don't have access to um, on-street parking or off-street parking so that they can go into a safe environment where there's availability. But two, it enables these um, regions in particular to have people come and visit. Um, so the people that are in the community can charge and the people that are coming to the community can charge because we are kind of finding that people will bypass communities if there's no infrastructure there. Um, and so we're really trying to work with them to find out uh, using demand, uh, tariff, not demand tariffs, using demand forecasting around where and using routes in which people do is the right places to um, put these charging infrastructure and ensuring it's in the right location too is really critical. Yeah, so there's, because um, I remember going to the fully charged um, EV conference or EV expo in um, at, um, mm -hmm. a couple of months ago in Sydney and at the ICC centre you had, oh God, I can't remember how many now, it must have been almost a dozen or something like that of um, sort of um, AC yeah, charging. Yeah, we did, we just yes. put those in. Yeah, yeah, mm. so you'll be doing more of those sort of things around the place? Yeah, and then that's the other thing where, and when we talk about those sizes, it's again, courses for courses or fit for purpose sizes. So you weren't, you're not going to put a 300 kilowatt system in, in, in that area. You would put anything from a 22. There are only sevens, the ones that we put in the ICC. That That's more of a workplace or really where you're going to spend a good chunk of time. Mm -hmm. um, 
and just needing, needing top-ups, or that might be what we're calling at the curbside where we might want um, people to park there for overnight because that is their off-street parking. Oh, okay. So curbside, what's that going to look like? Well, that's the smaller that's the smaller charges. Mm. That's like the seven to twenty-two kilowatt charges that are, are more like oh. the way I could describe it is like your meters on the side of the road. Yeah, you know, you're yeah. Are they going to? But they won't. But are they going to be on the side of the road, or are they going to be in sort of safe areas like shopping centres and car parks no. and things well, like that? Well, it can that. be in streets. Yes, we're going to work with some of the um, um, suburbs where there is limited um, off-street parking and high-rise or you know apartments. And they, they've got, there's EVs there. And so they park on the roads, right? Like yep. they park in the streets. And so is there a possibility and does it make sense to do some EV charging along that street? Yeah. So people park there at night because otherwise, as you may have seen, people are putting cords through windows and going across um, garages and gardens and all sorts of things to charge their vehicles. So that's not good. It's I've, just, I've, I think no. I think I've done that when I've been travelling um, in a motel, but um, but yeah. not not as a no, permanent state are doing of affairs. That. Yes, really. Exactly, and mm, yeah, because there is they can't their body corporate or their business or their apartment um, um, isn't upgrading or not yet or can't upgrade, and so I think it's really important that we look for. So we want to trial a couple of um, suburbs to say what would it look like, and then we can work with. Um, government and we can work with councils to go well how would we roll this out but we would like to we're going to look at how do we um, see if this works so we're going to trial mm. a couple of those areas so does anyone may have a big a budget like does it think it's going to spend like half a billion dollars over the next 10 years on charging infrastructure does it, is it... oh look at this moment we're really just focused on this next you know, three years where we know that we've got these committed programs that's going to take at least that, you know, two to three years to get this rollout. We think by that stage we'll have around 300 sites mm -hmm. and some other things along the way. Um, and that's what our focus is at the moment. We we know that as we, as we started with, we need 30,000 fast chargers around Australia. Mm. We then need to figure out what does, what do we do next? So let's just get the basics in first and then, you know, sky's the limit, I kind of say, yeah. but um, we need to figure out how how government and how different um, funding arrangements can assist because some of this stuff is around um, chicken and the egg and we need to make sure that we can make good investments if we are going to contribute. But these are what we've committed to um, over this next three years. Now, how are your membership responding to all of this? We interviewed Rowan London, I think, uh, last year, yeah. and he's all mentioned that when they first kind of broached EVs and things like that, they got a lot of sort of negative reaction. Um, I presume that's getting slightly better now. But how sort of ready do you think that most of your membership are for for what is essentially like a change in lifestyle between sort of you know going to the petrol station once a week to sort of kind of mm. topping up your car as you go and doing different things when yes. you actually do supercharge it. Yeah, look, I think that our membership is still um, very much ICE vehicles and we've got a good cohort of um, EVs now. And that's going to continue to grow and it's continuing to grow every month in terms of that space. But it is, and, and Rowan would say the same, the, the same thing, it is really important that we still need to realise we're going to have ICE vehicles here for, for, for quite some time. But, but it, there will be a point that as people have choice, and make choices that they will need to do that for different reasons. There's no vehicles to buy. There's new, you know, EVs. That's what their household wants to do. They're trying to, you know, um, help help um, with the emissions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think there is um, 
I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that there are some people that think, well, why are we doing this? And then I'm sure that there's a lot of people going, oh yeah, I get it. And then there's a lot of people going, oh good, why haven't you done that sooner? So um, it is, it is, it is a very um, interesting balance for, for NRMA. We need to very much um, service our our current membership, which is predominantly ice vehicles yeah. uh, and that's what we're focusing on as well as making sure our roadside's still well and we advocate for the right things and we um, do all the things that we need to do from from their perspective yeah. and as this new cohort of membership comes through that we're also catering for them. Do you have any insight as to whether NRMA membership is kind of on the high side? I mean we've just seen in the last couple of months the jump of EVs um, as a mar- as a share of the new new car market getting up to almost 8% over the last couple of, couple of months. Do you have any insight as to whether NRMA membership is kind of around about that mark or behind it or ahead of it or or, or where it sits? No, it's a good question. Um, What I know is that when I first started the membership or just the EV drivers was, um, it's just every week the numbers just go slightly up. So I'm not sure if it's around the 8%. It probably is around the 8% actually. Um, but I'd have to check, double check on on the exact. But what I know is that people are more. It's not just about who are driving the EVs today. It's really around who's wanting to know more information, um, who's asking more questions, and that's increasing by the day. So you can see that their curiosity, um, people's curiosity, is 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 getting bigger. Yeah. Um, and, and, because yeah. Yeah, and, and this might be a sort of um, outside your pay grade, but I mean as people's curiosity grows, what they're interested in is having greater choice of vehicles and having obviously lower price vehicles because basically there's yes. hardly anything less than fifty thousand dollars. The cheapest is forty five thousand. That's still way out of the ballpark for a lot of people. So how do we go about getting more and lower cost vehicles in Australia? And I think that's a good point. So that kind of hits sits in some of the advocacy work that NRMA is doing is making sure that that there is choice, that there are more vehicles available and how do we bring in more vehicles that are at that cheaper price point and also larger vehicles for those families that tow things um, because they're not available either. And that's, you know, if you want to replicate the society we live in, we, we drive big cars, we drive little cars. And so how do we, and, and cheap cars and, and expensive cars. So how do we replicate that? So NRMA is very much um, working with uh, and, and advocating for, A, the fuel efficiency standards and the emission standards so that that hopefully will encourage uh, the more, uh, choice of vehicles to come into Australia. And, and we might have just lost a bit of your last comment there, uh, Carly, because of a sort of a network issue. But um, I understand that you also just attended a, um, a caravan conference and spoke about electrification there. What would um, what were you hearing and what were you telling them? Oh, look, it was actually really insightful for both for, for both us, us and, and or for both myself and the caravan industry. But but fundamentally, we see the caravan industry as a really unique, has a really unique proposition ensuring that they're, they're spread all over the, the country and twofold is a lot of their customers or most of their customers are travelling to them. And so they're going to have to become what I call EV friendly. And instead of just being dog friendly these days, we need to be EV friendly. And so we're working with our own NRMA parks and holidays um, to to become uh, fit for purpose and ready for the for the um, caravanners to, to come as they as they start to transition or visitors that want to stay in cabins and things like that. 
But on the other side, I think it's really important that those sites and those locations are really great opportunities for us to place the charging infrastructure for the public because it's a safe environment. Um, it's also somewhere, it's a destination people could stop at. Um, and so therefore they're part of the local community. But it's also an opportunity that we need to help these caravan parks uh, transition. It is it is actually their industry that's that it is at risk if we don't actually help them. As 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 an industry itself needs to to transition, um, it's not just the infrastructure that's the problem. It's also connecting to the grid that becomes more problematic for these uh, locations. So we want to bring some, I guess. Um, highlight to these areas that if we want to um, help them and get them, you know, keep them maintained and and, and relevant, um, one, but also how do we uh, utilise their sites and locations to help with this investment in the infrastructure in itself? Yeah, well, I know it's, it's happening already in a haphazard way. Um, the co-host of the Energy Insiders podcast, uh, David Leach, went on a cycling holiday down in uh, Victoria. Yeah. Couldn't find anywhere to park his car, so we actually booked it into the camping ground and plugged it in <laughs> for two days and went, went cycling came back it was fully exactly. charged so. <laughs> exactly exactly like it is it is a great opportunity so as much as it's a challenge i think that um it's an opportunity as well so mm. that's that's what we that's what i was there talking about yeah how just to sort of wrap it up then i mean how quickly do you think this transition is gonna gonna take because i mean we, we hear of targets in, in in europe i mean i think norway well norway is already so 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 well advanced but they're going to stop um, they're mm. going to ban the sales of petrol and diesel cars by 2025 including hybrids um many other european countries have 2030 as their target um are we going to be catching up to them or do you think we're going to have to you know the unique situation in australia means that it will happen quickly but maybe not that quickly uh, look, I think that at the moment there's a whole lot of things that are that, that is stopping us from doing it quickly and that's what we talked on before around choice. There needs to be a lot of choice and as different to overseas, we do a lot of travelling, carrying and towing of vehicles um, and so we need to have that opportunity to have that and until we get some of those challenges sorted, I think it will take a little bit longer. Than, than overseas. But on the flip side, I do believe that we're going to see it increase a lot quicker than what it's been increasing gradually over the last couple of years. We're already seeing that year a month on month, there's more and more, as you as we said earlier um, today. So I think that it's, um, you know, I, I think that the, the, the two to four million by 2030 is, is not out of the question. And um, and I think that that's where we're heading at this point in time. Yeah, well, it's going to be fascinating to see. Um, Carly Irving Dolan, thank you very much for joining the Driven Podcast, and um, thanks also to NRMA for their um, ongoing sponsorship of this podcast, at least in the series. So, thank you very much for that. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Welcome to part two of the Driven podcast, and it's time to welcome Daniel Bleakley, the uh, Chief Reporter for The Driven. How are you, Daniel? Uh, very well, thanks, Giles. Good good to be here. Another exciting couple of weeks in the EV world. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, um, look, just to sort of round up with the interview with Carly, I just sort of thought that the two most interesting things out of that were, um, one, that the uh, EV, EV charging network run by the NRMA will probably start seeing some... Um, 
uh, start, probably start to cost um, people from October then when they roll out their app. So that's going to be interesting because I think we've seen that there's been a fair bit of squatting going on at some of the free charges and that's sort of started to cause a problem. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what sort of charges they came out. And the other thing I thought that was really interesting was um, the uh, Carly sort of describing how they're going to have to sort of create this sort of off-grid um, fast charging and super fast charging stations because they're going to go around Australia 150 kilometres apart. Obviously, that means there's part where the grid is not there. And so they're about 25 or 30 will off-grid stations, so presumably with some solar, some battery, maybe some backup diesel. Um, but it's going, to be, it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of rolls out. And, um, and it'd be good to have some solar and battery there so we can't get all the anti-EV people sort of posting stuff on Facebook about sort of um, diesel generators <laughs> of, uh, across the Nullarbor Plain. Yeah, I think, I think having di- diesel generators might be a bit of a PR disaster. So hopefully they can do it with just batteries. But yeah, that sounds, that sounds amazing if they, can, if they can set up those kind of off-grid systems. It's, it's going to be... Um, it's going to be help um, help uh, extend the network out to to regions where you know a lot of people probably haven't haven't even seen an EV before. Yes, or just maybe the couple going past, sort of uh, asking if they can sort of plug in or something like that. Yeah. Look, um, let's just go to some of the other news that's happening. Um, we've just had the latest stats come out. Um, still promising, just sort of eight percent market share for EVs, Tesla, and. Um, the Model Y, now the best-selling SUV in Australia, which is not surprising given that the recent data came out showing that the Model Y was the best-selling car anywhere in the whole world, sort of globally, um, in the first quarter of the year. And it's just interesting to see sort of Tesla and BYD just sort of reinforce their sort of dominance of the local market because there's a report that you actually wrote on um, a week or so ago from the ICCT, uh, the International Council for Clean Energy clean transportation which shows that tesla and byd are by far well they're just way ahead of anyone else when it comes to the ev transition yeah that's right Uh, that was a really um fascinating fascinating report by the icct and basically they um ranked the top 20 uh the top 20 largest automotive manufacturers in in the world and and kind of set criteria based on their market share, technology, and um, and strategic vision, and then they kind of grouped grouped the different companies into leaders, transitioners, and and laggards. And yeah, as, as you say, Tesla and BYD um, scored the highest in the leaders category, and then um, down the bottom, I think f- um, five out of the six uh, laggards were actually all all Japanese uh, manufacturers, which. Um, yeah, which we've been covering for 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 quite a while. The the Japanese auto makers um, really seem to be struggling. Well, they're still attached to sort of the fossil fuel engines. Um, they're um, and when they do think of sort of transition, they're not really thinking electric. They're still thinking hybrid, and they're still thinking hydrogen. Yeah, that's right. And and um, it's 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 bizarre that they're continuing on with. Um, with this, with this technology, with this technology, uh, it, it really it, it doesn't have any future at all. And um, yeah, we we saw us uh, we responded to a, a an op- an opinion piece by Mr. Bean yesterday, and he was talking up hydrogen as well. So I'm not sure where he's getting his uh, his information from. 
Oh, he was also talking e-fuels as well, which is just pretty bizarre because, I mean, e-fuels are just going to be so damn expensive and uh, probably not very efficient. Um, but there just seems to be this sort of big campaign. Um, and, and, and we saw this report by, um, who was that, Influence Map, I think? That's like an international think tank. Um, just really sort of digging in, freedom of information, finding out the lobbying efforts of the legacy car lobby in Australia, which is essentially dominated by those same Japanese automakers. And um, so what have they been up to, uh, Daniel? Yeah, that's right. So uh, Influence Map um, used freedom of information laws, as, as you say, and uh, they actually obtained, I think, something like 500, uh, 500 documents from, from the government, which, which uh, kind of detail a lot of the meetings between the FCAI and the government and, and kind of paint this picture of, a, of five years of um, a lobbying campaign to... To weaken to to weaken Australia's um, vehicle emission standards, and yeah, the the report kind of goes into a, a number of different um, ways that they've tried to do that. Um, I think Influence Map is kind of um, suggesting that there's there's a, a five step strategy that that the FCAI has um, has used. Um, understand the FCAI w- wasn't very pleased about the report and and they're now saying that they're not lobbying for um their current voluntary um standards so be interesting to see uh what the fcai comes out with with their um their submission to the to the uh efficiency standard yeah well they're not lobbying for the um uh, voluntary standards because the federal government has made it very clear it's going to be a (laughs) compulsory standard the question i guess is just how quick it's going to be and how tight it will be and it's interesting to see that um a lot of the um the car makers that are evolving as it were um are are, are really pushing for standards that try and catch up with um the rest of the world as quickly as possible now it won't probably be possible to do it immediately but not to leave it too long otherwise we'll simply become you know um the the dumping ground analogy will just continue for a while yeah that's right i think a lot of people are are pushing for a new zealand style standard we know um new zealand's um had had incredible results with their electric vehicle policy over, over the last year has seen a huge huge uptake and and looking at the global leaders in in Norway we we did a story a few days ago um, that that covered the the latest um, vehicle sales data coming out of Norway and they've actually hit I think 91% uh, plug-ins for for the month of May 80.7% uh, fully electric vehicles um, but what I found fascinating was uh, that the, in the month of May, all new vehicles, the, the average uh, vehicle emissions for, for new vehicles sold in Norway was down to just 16 grams per kilometre, which um, for, for comparison in Australia in, in 2022, I think it was over 160 grams per, per kilometre. So Norway's really reaping the benefits of, of strong EV policy over the, over the past, well, two decades really. And now they're their average vehicle emissions for, for new vehicles is, is 10 times lower than, than in Australia. Yeah, and it'll be even lower in 2025 when they actually sort of banned sales of all new fossil fuel vehicles, including plug-in hybrids and, and mild hybrids. So that's um, pretty interesting. So that sort of shows exactly where Australia is. Um, just to throw, throw a few other numbers around the place, um, Sweden, I think, came out with about 40% um, pure electric and just over 60% plug-ins. England has just come out, or the UK has just come 
come out with 16.9%, I think it is, uh, plug-in, or sort of fully electric in the uh, in the last month of May. Australia, just as a reminder, was 7.7%, which is pretty consistent with what it's been so far this year, which is more than a doubling, almost a trebling from last year. And New Zealand is slightly above us, um, 8%. I'm not too sure what's happening in New Zealand. They're sort of the electric sales have slowed down a bit, I think. But um, what's interesting about there is the, the fact that they can get, uh, because of those vehicle emission standards, you can get that many more models over in New Zealand than you can in Australia. So um, Australia's problem is still just trying to find enough variety, um, uh, the lower prices, and we still seem to be two or three years. We we went off and did a drive test of the uh, Nissan Ariya um, last week, and which I'm not allowed to talk about apart from to say the fact that we did do that. And that's come to Australia. Well, it will probably be in Australia about three years after it's been um, anywhere else. So um, that's just, and, and that's been the same basically for almost all the electric vehicle offerings. Um, and it's pretty frustrating for the people here who clearly want to buy EVs. Yeah, that's that's right, and it's 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 great to see that um, uh, the Kiwis over the ditch are are getting access to a lot more a lot more models, and and hopefully we start to see that in Australia as well. And I noticed in 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 Reza's article about the the uh, the May sales figures in Australia, he, I think he he mentioned that um, Model Three deliveries are are down a little bit this month, and and he's I think he kind of is um suggesting that that's because the um the shanghai factories recently either stopped completely or it's or it's slowed down in i think it's in in anticipation of the new uh highland um project highland which is a refresh of the the model 3. that's going to be very interesting to see we were thinking that maybe it might come out last week while elon musk was in town but maybe something was not quite ready so um it's been put off to another time but um we're going to be interested in seeing that and also i think in the next quarter we might finally see the official launch of the cyber truck and um that's going to be really really interesting i was just seeing some video the other day it was just all showing the cyber truck and all the think different things that the contraptions that can go on the back of it and to turn into a little camping car and stuff like that it's um and I'd love to know how many orders there are in Australia. I mean, there must be, you know, at least 100,000, I reckon, because anyone with a ute driving now is going to want to have a cyber truck. I just can't imagine the, 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 the trading community not wanting one um, in Australia. So, um, and it's going to be no more expensive than all the stuff that they're currently buying. So that's going to be, that I think is going to be the final tipping point. Absolutely. And I, I think from, from memory, I must have been maybe six months after uh cybertruck went uh they started taking orders I, I think i read somewhere that outside of america australia had the the high, the the largest number of, of cybertruck orders out of any other country outside of the us which which doesn't really surprise me with with our obsession with um with utes and um yeah and those those types of vehicles so i i'm incredibly excited about the the cybertruck it's going to be amazing to 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 follow what's happening in the US when they start hitting the streets, it, you know it's going to be a, a huge head turner. Um, there's a lot of obviously a lot of Tesla Model Threes, Model Ys getting around, but I think um, people are really going to going to start to take notice when when the Cybertruck hits hits the streets. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and but I get because the big question with um, with Australia is sort of matching those sort of ADRs and all those other restrictions that Australia has. So it's um, um, there are sort of great complications. Not too sure why we still have those ADRs here because we're not trying to protect the local industry because we don't have it anymore. So um, 
which is a bit of a shame. Anyway, um, well, look, um, um, you've already mentioned Mr. Bean, Rowan Atkinson, and his uh, rather eccentric take <laughs> on electric vehicles. It's it's funny how people sort of portray themselves as early adopters, but, I mean, this guy's actually got more than 20 vehicles, including a McLaren, a half-million-dollar Bentley and everything else. So quite why they choose to sort of speak as an authority on EVs is just um, yeah, a bit strange. But um, anyway... I'm too sure if you've got anything yeah. to add to that. <laughs> well, I think it was just uh, it, it was it was really uh, disappointing to see, and and um, you know, there's so many people in the electric vehicle community who are trying to communicate um, the benefits of transitioning to EVs, not only for the climate, but also for reducing pollution in our cities, which which improves the health of of everyone and. Um, I think one of the the EV experts who who did a lot of the debunking um, is is clearly frustrated to to have with having to continue to 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 debunk these kind of things, especially coming from from someone like like Mr. Bean and and you know the Guardian's a big a big publication which a lot of people read. So um, it's a shame. It's it's disappointing to see this, but but hopefully um, the the global EV community is 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 getting bigger and bigger every month and we just need to keep keep calling them out. Yeah, no, exactly. And look, one other f- thing I should mention just before we wrap up is um, Comcar, which is the federal government fleet, um, is actually going electric as well, finally. So I think in the next sort of transition, which will happen over the next 12 months, um, all the Toyota Camrys and the diesel BMWs will be replaced by electric BMWs, so going with the iX. Um, they haven't exactly chosen the cheapest EV around. Um, maybe they sort of feel the need for a sort of luxury in some sort of space, but because um, those uh, BMWs come between about 140 and 180,000, although I'm sure BMW probably give them a, a, a job lot offer. But look, that's a good sign, I think, um, that um, you know, with the whole Comcar fleet going electric, I think, um, I think, uh, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I think so too, and and uh, it's it's what we need. We need more decision makers uh, experiencing electric vehicles and and if if um a, l- a lot of the our elected officials are getting picked up and dropped off in evs and then maybe they'll um they'll they'll take that into consideration when when voting on on things like the the fuel efficiency standards so mm-hmm. yeah it's it's great to see uh, good on you. Well, look, thanks, Daniel, for that. Um, look, we'll be back with another episode of The Driven in a fortnight. Thank you very much for Carling, Carly Irving Dolan from NRMA for talking to us about their network plans and their sort of um, future, their vision for the future of the EV market. Um, thanks to all the listeners out there. Um, thanks to NRMA for sponsoring this particular series, The Driven Podcast. And uh, we'll be back, um, as we say, in a fortnight's time. Bye for now. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by the NRMA, who are leading the charge in helping Australians transition to electric vehicles. The NRMA offers advice, online communities and EV loans to help drivers at every stage of their electric vehicle journey. And with their ever-expanding regional fast charging network, the NRMA is committed to ensuring all communities remain connected.